in the late service, we will have our child dedication uh, service. So uh, in case you want to be a part of that, you can kind of hang out and be a part of that. If you would turn to Romans chapter 1. This is, as I've already mentioned, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And uh, for 33 years, every um, January, I preach at least one sermon uh, on the subject because I believe with all my heart, as we just sang, that if human life is not valuable from conception to natural death, then everything else we do is totally worthless. Politics is worthless. Missions is worthless because if life isn't worth anything and it's not valuable, then uh, nothing else really matters. I've called this without excuse because it's a phrase from uh, this passage. We could say that years ago in 1973, they didn't have a lot of the things we have now. They had the Bible. The Bible's always been clear that life begins at conception, but the world didn't have their proof for that in many ways. Uh, that has totally changed in the years since that. Uh, so there is now no excuse. I, I don't excuse it back then, but today there is less excuse for treating an unborn baby as something less than human that can be discarded and just plain done away with by abortion. Today we have we have lots of knowledge, but we also have that knowledge that is used in so many wrong ways that when we look at statistics, they will tell us that there are less abortions today than there were 10 years ago. Those are the ones that you can statistically show. Today, we have birth control pills that do exactly that. They provide an inhospitable environment wherein a Fertilized egg cannot implant, and so a baby dies. We also have abortion pills, which even after it's implanted, gets rid of them. Those are not statistics that are going to show up. So the statistics are very skewed today compared to what they had been in the past. I'd like to just do some background before we get to the passage before us. There are two main words that I'm going to look at in that passage. But people ask, the question, they say, well, you Christians say God created everything. And then, you, of course, you know what the next, well, who created God? Well, it's a dumb, it's really a dumb way to look at it, simply because if you're the creator and you've created everything else, uh, the question doesn't have a basis because God is above and beyond the creation. He's supernatural. And so he has no beginning, he has no end, he has always existed. But when it comes to the subject of abortion, Flip that right around. Because there wasn't a baby before a moment. There is a creation. There is what to me is a miracle. I know it's not a miracle. You can biologically explain this to some extent. But I am going to tell you it's way above my pay grade to say I know exactly how a sperm and egg get together and form a new human being. I have to tell you, to me, it's just still astounding uh, in that whole thing. But there is a beginning, and we know when that beginning is. Biblically, we absolutely know that because the Bible says it's conception. 
scientifically and medically, we know when it happens. Now, I cannot tell you to the exact second or maybe the minute. But within a very, very, very short window that nobody can argue with, uh, that fully formed, not fully formed, for, fully, uh, the, uh, not, I don't believe I just did this. <clears throat> Everything that's needed for a human being is together. And uh, it is there. Nothing else is ever added but time and development. And it starts developing from the very beginning. That we know scientifically. We know that without a doubt. And even during the process of pregnancy, we know that these things are verifiable. We have ultrasounds and we have sonograms and we have all kinds of other things today that they didn't have in the, fut- in the past and we'll probably still have additional things in the future uh, in this. But here's a human being. Everything needed to be a human being is already there from the very beginning. And it's distinct from mom, it's distinct from dad, and the process is biological But God is the one that created it, and the genetics is just continuing on, and we know that. And we celebrate that life from the very beginning. And today, in the third service, we're going to dedicate children to the Lord. That is, we usually do that on Mother's Day. This year, Mother's Day didn't happen because of COVID and all that stuff, but we decided the best place to do that now is on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, because we say, these children are important. We need to raise them for the Lord, and we're asking you to pray for us, and you help us, and you back us up in that process. We really need to understand that life is valuable from the very, very beginning. If life begins at fertilization and conception, that development continues as a new and unique human being. The development is many times uh, has numerous names that are used. And people get uptight about that. They go, well, embryo or zygote or something like that. We say, oh, that's, you know, that's bad. Don't get messed up with the words. Just like after a baby is born, we might call them an infant or an adolescent or one of those types of things. It's simply a stage of development. But from the very beginning, that baby is fully human. No matter what the stage of development is. Fully human from the very beginning and continuing on, obviously, until death. And so... Using those terms, don't get caught up in that and get get sidetracked by that. If you believe that abortion is something new, uh, you would be wrong. Most of us track abortion in our minds back to 1973 and Roe versus Wade. That is when the United States went totally off the rails and said it's now legal. But abortion has been performed for a long, long time. The first recorded abortion was in Egypt in 1550 B.C. 
I don't know exactly, it doesn't tell us how it was done or anything like that, but it's recorded, and it was most likely a non-surgical type abortion. But it continued on. Every society has had abortion. But the United States went way beyond and said, no, it's legal. It's a right. And when you think about this, they say, well, they made it legal. Well, they dreamed up something. Because it had nothing really to do with abortion. If you remember what the thought behind it was, is that a woman has the right to privacy. Now, I'm not against privacy. On the other hand, when your privacy brings the death of an unborn child, that's no longer private. Somebody else is very much involved in the whole process. And it usually takes somebody else to help you, and they are also involved in that process. I already mentioned about the beginning of life, but in 1991, we actually got a legal definition of life uh, from the government. And this is what it says. It was the embryo protection law, and it was put into force on January 1st of 1991. It defines the beginning of life in a medical sense that the embryo is a fertilized egg capable of development from the time of fertilization. I didn't make that up. I didn't read it in the Bible. That's actually a legal definition, but they're saying, oh, you can turn around and you can have an abortion and acting like it's not really a human life, even though it's contradictory and convoluted as all get out, uh, but there's no other place in all of the development of a baby where you go from something that's non-life to something that's life, or it was something first and now it's a baby. There is no other place that you can find in any place, scientifically, medically, biblically, no way is there any other place. There are organizations, Planned Parenthood, everybody knows about that one. They promote abortion. They say they don't, but they do, and they perform them. Uh, They definitely refer them, uh, people, to abortion. But the Guttmacher Institute has on their website this, reproductive rights are under attack. Will you help us fight back with facts? Think about this. Nobody is telling anybody they can't produce a baby. That's what it sounds like. Remember, it is always whoever controls the language controls the debate. Just remember that. And so you will find all kinds of words. I read some stuff while I was studying for this, and I'm going, what a convoluted use of verbiage uh, in this whole thing to try to get around the actual fact that we're dealing with a baby. We're dealing with a human being uh, that... God has put into into action the process, and genetics has just carried it out. Abortions have happened in the United States for the past 48 years legally, up to 24 weeks in most cases. We have a grandson that was born at 26 weeks. That kid didn't have just the will to survive. He had the will to thrive. And if you know Ben, you know that uh, he is quite the character, and he is, he is just one special kid. But he started out at 2.2 or 2.4 pounds. I mean, 
in the hospital for months on end. You know what? Nobody's going, ah, he really wasn't valuable. Nobody would ever say that in that case. But abortions have continued on. And in fact, is the last really good statistics we have uh, for the United States of things that you can actually record. I already mentioned that is over 800,000 abortions per year. And in Pennsylvania, a little over 31,000 in the year. And this is all since the Supreme Court didn't mention a constitutional right. They dreamed up a right to abortion. Uh, That's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. I, I see no basis for it whatsoever. And we know that since that, people know, and we're going to look at this because there we are without excuse. And God gave us some things that make it clear, and we're going to see them in Romans chapter 1, that make it clear that people know it's apparent. A few years ago, I went with a number of people from Garden Chapel up to the Hillcrest Clinic. I've only ever done that once. It's not my kind of thing. But I went up there, and we weren't there to hassle people. We were there to see if we could talk to anyone that was going into the clinic, and we had some tracks with us. And I remember uh, I had the opportunity to talk to one person. Other people had talked to some other people. And this was a guy, and I said, oh, wait, you know, what are you doing here? Man, oh, man, instantly... It was shame and guilt. I didn't, I didn't even say anything. I'm, I'm just here bringing my buddy's girlfriend here. And he, wanted no, he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to uh, just even have any conversation whatsoever. And he said, I have a phone call I have to make within probably 45 seconds. I have a phone call I have to make. And he went and back in his car and closed the door and locked the doors and closed the windows and uh, totally ignored it. You know what? Because it's evident. No mom, no dad, no grandparent says, oh, my daughter is pregnant. My wife is pregnant. uh, And uh, it's something other than a baby. No, they immediately refer to that unborn life, that unborn human life as a baby. We all do that. Why? We know what it is. You don't even need the Bible. People say that, and they don't even believe the Bible. We believe the Bible, and it's abundantly clear to us, above and beyond even the nature of things that God has put in. We have a conscience, and that conscience actually works. Unfortunately, over the years, I've had to deal with people who've had abortions. Those abortions could have been 10, 20, 30, 40 years before I dealt with it. You know what? The guilt and the shame was still there. Because they knew, without me telling them, I didn't have to tell them that, they were telling me this, that they knew they did something wrong, that they had brought an unborn baby's life to an end. Praise the Lord, we have a Savior who has died so that all sin could be forgiven. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to talk about what we should do. See, it's not okay just to curse the darkness. We should curse the darkness. On the other hand, 
If we believe something is wrong, then we should be a positive force to help those people. Because many people in the situation with an abortion feel like there are no alternatives. We need to make sure that we offer those alternatives. Here at Garden Chapel, we support Capillary Pregnancy Center. And there's one major, major reason why we do that. We could support lots of organizations like that, and babies might be saved. And they are. And that's not a bad thing. But Capital Area Pregnancy Center is adamant that every person that comes there, they are going to give the gospel. You see, you can save a life of the baby and you still have people going to hell. We need to make sure, like we talked about for the last two weeks, we have a mission. The mission is that the world hears about Christ. That the world will be worshiping the one true and only living God. That's a bigger mission than simply saving a life. That's a valid place to be, saving a life. But our mission is even bigger than that. And we want to make sure that we are a part of that. Uh, Tonight, we are going to have um, a short video that is actually put out by uh, Capital Area Pregnancy Center. We're going to view it. We didn't have time for it this morning because of a child dedication. But we want to just give you some tools and some encouragement and some information that you can stand up and speak up and then encourage and help people in hard situations. It's been said that um, when abortion is done correctly, there's always a dead baby. Think about that. The only medical procedure or medication that the end result is, is purposeful death. Purposeful death. Not as an accident or, you know, something went wrong. No, it is designed that way. We need to keep that in mind. That we have a responsibility to make sure that people are not ignorant. We need to make sure that people are without excuse. And with that as a background, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 16, because that's what I just described. Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. There's a couple of things that I want to point out in those two verses. First of all, notice, there's no shame in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's not something I have a guilt about. Abortion, on the other hand, has both of those. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. It changes the whole life. It preserves us for all eternity. It delivers us from the power of sin. But the second part there is is that this righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You cannot just say, I'm anti-abortion. I would agree with you. I'm totally in that, that ballpark. But simply being against something is not good enough. 
You need to have an answer. The answer is the gospel. The answer is truth. And you can say, well, Capital Area Pregnancy Center should do that. Or the pastor should do that. And I'll agree, they should. But ministry is never limited to a small group of people or to some individual. Ministry, mission, is always all of us. Sometimes we keep our mouth closed when it should be open. And I am not talking about fighting with people, arguing with people, or getting into, you know, disputes. But when you hear these things and you see these things happening around, you simply need to squeak up and say something. Because otherwise you become part of the problem. It's like, oh, I guess Pastor Paul doesn't think that's a really bad thing, or Dave doesn't think that, or whoever it is, they don't think that's a problem. No, we need to speak up in a lot of ways, and I'll get to a few more of those at the end of the sermon. But we need to do something, and then we need to be there to help other people. Why? Because it says our faith is brought to the next person by faith. We need to live out what we believe. It's not good enough just to be against something. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I've already mentioned a few of these things, but I'm coming back to why the the principle is true. Notice it says that God is revealing His wrath against ungodliness. You want a simple phrase to to describe that? Is living without any conscience, acknowledgement, or reference to God. That's it. God doesn't exist. God's viewpoint doesn't matter. And it goes on to say, and the unrighteousness of men, and that is simply they've deviated from what they know to be morally and ethically and, and factually true. And then the last part, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I mentioned this, but if you go on a website like, say, Planned Parenthood, there's lots of them you can go on, you will find the most convoluted stuff. They will say, this is not a baby. And you keep reading, and a few pages later, they call that unborn child a baby. They know it but they suppress the truth. They just simply do. And this is the kind of thing that's propagated across our population and across the world for that matter. Men are not content just to say, well, you know what, that's your opinion and I have mine. But they want to make sure that things that are not true are seen as, hey, this is the right thing. And uh, it makes it very clear. That's what God is angry about here. Verse 19, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. That's our conscience. We know some things, whether we have the Bible or not. That's Romans chapter 2, by the way, where it says that our mind alternately accuses or else defends us. Because that shame that I've talked about. Nobody goes around bragging, I had an abortion, except for a few leaders, they do do that at times. But most people are 
They just don't talk about it. You know, put it under the rug. Because they know what they're doing is, is not correct. It's not right. And then he goes on to say, For since the creation of the world, his, that's God's attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are, and here's our theme, without excuse. Mike and Carrie just walked into back here for this service. I didn't know they were coming. But that's the theme for mission imperative. And we usually think, oh, you can look at a tree or you can look at a wild animal and you can look at all those things. And those are all true, okay? Great, great jumping off place to give the gospel and to give people truth. But I have to tell you, among all the things that God has done in this world, the creation of a brand new distinct human being that didn't exist before is above all of those things. It it totally astounds me. I have to tell you. I believe it, but do I understand it? I'm going to tell you, no, I don't. And I could go on and on and on and say, you know, scientifically, this is what happens and all that. And it would still come down to, how in the world do you get two cells that are, half of each, and they get together, and within a few minutes, they're a totally different entity. I don't understand that. But that's something that God has put in place. And yes, even with the secular view, we're without excuse. Because he's not saying, I wrote this in the Bible, so you're without excuse. He said, no, through the things that are being made. We're without excuse. The world is without excuse. And it goes on in verse 21, even though they knew God, and uh, from the very beginning, two times, Adam and Eve and after the flood, everybody knew who God was. They didn't honor Him as God. They became futile, that is, empty or vain in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. If we neglect truth, If we do away with truth and we won't deal with it, we become darkened in our hearts. And then it says, professing to be wise. This is what I see. People have all these things and they're smoke screens and we know what's going on. No, they don't. They become fools. Remember, a fool is not somebody who's mentally challenged. A fool is someone who knows what the facts are, knows what the truth is, but doesn't practice it. Those who promote abortion, they know exactly what the facts are. But if you read what they're saying, they twist it and and mutilate it so much that people say, oh, well, I guess it's okay. And one other thing I want to make clear, no matter what our Supreme Court says or what our laws say, just because something is legal does not make it moral or ethical or right or any other thing you want to throw in there. Just because it's illegal doesn't make it right. Because we become fools. And then it goes to say that they've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. 
And we, we many times talk about, well, there are people who worship the sun, or they worship spirit animals, or they worship all these things. But did you notice which one is first in that list? Man. That's humanism. Everyone worships something. Everyone has a first cause of how they think and why they think about things in this world. And the first one in the list is man. I'm the final authority. What I decide is what matters. doesn't really matter what somebody else says. And he says, they've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for corruptible man. Starts right there. That is what we live in. We live in a very, very secular society. Call it humanism, call it secular humanism, call it whatever you want to call it. It is simply man is the highest authority. And we are corruptible. <laughs> we, we really can get things messed up. And uh, the Bible's very clear. That's exactly what we do. And then God says, and the next part of this, I'm not going to, to go into that because now it's going to talk about lesbianism, homosexuality, and the, the gender and sexual things and all that. Um, I'm not going to deal with that today because this passage is not specifically about abortion. It's about wrong thinking in every possible way. It doesn't matter what it is. And then it gives some specifics. But in verse 28, it says, Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. In other words, God is X'd out of their life in any practical way. I want nothing to do with God. God says, I gave them over to a depraved mind. A depraved mind is simply this. A mind that is not acceptable in its thinking. It's a mind that won't stand any test of reasonableness, of facts, of truth, of the Bible. It's simply a mind that's given over to depravity, deceit, just all kinds of sin. It's given over. God says, if you won't acknowledge me, I'll give you what you want. But you're going to have the end result. And so we have a nation that is killing the next generations because of abortion. But it continues on to say, not only they have a depraved mind, but to do those things which are not profitable. The things that are just simply not fitting. They're unrestrained in what they do. And then it goes on and mentions a few other things like unrighteousness, wickedness, and greed, and envy. And then it comes to the one that we need to be careful with. Because when we throw this around, it says murder. Do I believe abortion is murder? The answer is, yeah, I absolutely do. If you're the one that makes the decision, if you're the one that pressures someone, or you're the one that actually carries it out, you were a part of this. Yeah. I believe that. I, 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 that's where I stand. Murder is simply this. It is the willful ending of a life. This is not a miscarriage because that's not a willful ending of a life. Many women have had miscarriages. That's not an abortion. That's of God. Deuteronomy makes it clear. God is the one that gives life and he has the right to take it away. That's not an abortion. 
But abortion is murder in that it is the willful, wanton taking of a human life. At any stage, if it's the end of life and somebody uh, brings an older, folks, uh, older person's life to an end, we call it euthanasia. It doesn't matter what stage in that development, how young or how old you are, if you wantonly, willfully take someone's life, that's murder. But it goes on to say a few other things. In verse 31, it says, They are without understanding, untrustworthy, and unloving. This is the one I want to dwell on the most. The word unloving here, if you have a different uh, translation, might, might say without natural affection. It is kinship love or kinship care. The word kindness Kindly affectionate is what some versions use. The word kind comes from the word kin or kindred in Old English. I never knew that until I was studying this week. It is the kind of love that parents have for their children. And children have for their parents. It is also the kind of connection that an animal has for its young. Before it was used in the Bible, it was used in Greek about animals taking care of their young. Now, I grew up on a dairy farm. Dairy cattle are not aggressive under most circumstances. Every now and then, we would have a calf that was born in the pasture. And my dad would say, take the wheel, because they, they don't walk too good at that point yet. Take the wheelbarrow out there, load the calf up, and bring the calf in. I guarantee if you bring the calf in, mama is following behind you. We never went one at a time when we did that. You know why? Because that cow that would never uh, try to hurt you at all, you pick her calf up, put it in the wheelbarrow, turn your back and start walking away, you're going to get run over. And that's why we had one person pushing the wheelbarrow and the other one watching behind. You know what? What it's saying here is we don't even have the same affection for the unborn baby that an animal has. We are worse than animals. Think about that. You don't mess with puppies when mom's there or cats. You're going to get bit, clawed or whatever. You know, they're going to raise a ruckus. But we've done that. Think about that. Unloving. And the second one that comes next to it is unmerciful. Yeah, we have no mercy without compassion. We don't care. If you wonder why this world is a mess, it starts with this type of thing. It's not the only thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not the only thing. But if we don't care about the most vulnerable of our population, it makes us a hard-hearted, unmerciful, uncompassionate people. And so if you want to look around and say, why don't people care about each other? I'm telling you, one of, the, one of the sources is right here. We don't care about people who have done nothing wrong. They didn't choose to be a human being. Somebody else chose that for them. They haven't harmed anybody else. And if we don't care about them, why would we care about somebody else who told us off or cut us off or, you know, did us in for some reason. We've become very 
hard-hearted in our thinking toward others. And so when you put this whole idea of unloving and unmerciful together, we come out with something that is the opposite of a saying that all of you know. We say, blood is thicker than water, right? We say that. We say that. There's some real truth to that. But in this case, we don't even care. And so we become hard-hearted and unmerciful. And we just act like it didn't happen. In fact, is this exact same word, and by the way, the word is stergos. There are three words in Greek that are found in the New Testament. One is agape, that is the others-centered love. I go out of my way to, at my own expense to, for the good, the well-being, and the, the good of the other person and the welfare of that person at my own expense. And then there's phileo, which is, in essence, a reciprocal love where you scratch my back, I scratch you. We're in this together. Best friends. We're, we're in it together and we help each other. And then there's stergos. It's just the natural affection. Kinship love. That's what we should have. And when we don't even practice that, we go downhill really, really quickly as a society. As I started to mention, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says in the last days, difficult times will come. And right smack in the middle of that, in verse 3, it says, unloving. Not even having the same care or affection for a kin. Yeah, it's a sign of the times. So what do I do if I've been involved in abortion? Notice what I said, not if I've had an abortion. Sometimes women make a decision, I'm having an abortion for whatever the reason is. And so it's kind of on them. But a lot of times, it's a boyfriend or a husband or a baby daddy who says, I don't want to be responsible for a child, and they pressure the person. It doesn't matter where you fit. Or if it's a person recommending an abortion or providing the abortion. You know, what do you do? You go, okay, I've listened to what you said, and wow, maybe I was wrong. No, I know I was wrong. What do I do? Is is that a helpless situation, a hopeless situation? The answer is no, because... The Bible is clear, and I'd like to go to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 first, because it covers a lot of territory. simply says there, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper. Yeah, abortion has a lot of side effects, even beyond the guilt and the shame. It actually has physical side effects. In case you've never looked that up, look it up. It does. It says they won't prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That's our word for mercy. God is a merciful God. Christ didn't just die for little sins or just die so that you could get saved. Those are all true. But he died for all sin. Now, the abortion doesn't go away. That's still going to be true. Just like any other sin, most of the time when you sin, even if you confess it, you can't reverse what you did. There are a few sins I think you can probably do 
a lot of that. But some sense, you can't do that. Abortion is absolutely one of them. You can never bring that, that life back again. But you can find compassion. Probably the verse that most of us know is in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice, the reason he does it is not because you're such a wonderful person. It's because he is faithful and he is righteous and he has provided everything for us. But if we go back and look at David, he wasn't involved in abortion, but he was involved in murder and adultery. David said in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt, iniquity of all my sin. Doesn't do away with what happened, but the guilt is dealt with. It's not just the thing itself but it's all the emotions and all the awful that comes from a sinful decision. So far, we've looked at, you know, it's wrong. Then we've looked at, if you've been wrong, well, how do you deal with that? Confess it. But what can I do to be a light in a dark world? This is a dark world. This one here is a biggie. First of all, we need to pray for other people. We need to pray uh, for those, those young women that will go to Capital Hour Pregnancy Center. We need to pray for the one that went to Planned Parenthood. We need to pray for the one who's being pressured to have an abortion. We need to pray for the young woman who feels helpless and doesn't know what else to do. And parents who sometimes give really bad advice to their children. We need to pray. That's a good place to start because God is bigger than we are and anything we could do. We need to speak up because the world is bombarded from every direction you can think of that abortion is okay because it's legal. It's no big deal. That is simply not true. And if the church and individual Christians don't speak up, we have some culpability, folks. We really do if we don't speak up. We need to be willing to help someone who's in a hard place. I'll tell you what, it's really easy to be hard-hearted. It's like, well, they got themselves into trouble, you know, so why get me involved? No, if we're going to be compassionate and show mercy, and we're going to reach out to others like Christ has reached out to us and helped us, we need to be willing to be hands and feet and a mouth and, and supply and, and do what we can do. You can't do everything, but we need to be there to help. You might be in a position where you say, you know what? I, by the way, I don't believe there's anything such as an unwanted baby. You might be someone, a family that says, you know what? I would adopt one of those unwanted babies. You can be there. Help that person to raise their children, whatever it is. You can be a volunteer. You can contribute to organizations that are specifically geared to reach out and help people in what most people call an unplanned or a crisis pregnancy. It's really a crisis situation. And one last thing, and you know I always 
bring this up somewhere along the line. We need to vote. We need to make sure that our voice is heard in our country. I said it before, if life isn't important and all the rest of the laws and everything else that happens really doesn't matter much. But it's those in authority that make these rules and make it possible for abortion to be legal. We need to make our voice known. It's not okay just to say, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and oh yeah, I spoke up once in a while. No, we need to actually go out of our way to make the impact of the truth of the gospel, the truth of reality, uh, known to the world. If we don't speak up, people will do whatever they want. And let's face it, our society is by and large secular, by and large humanist. And we need to let our presence be known and have an impact and an influence on the world around us. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, you're a great God. Thank you for the miracle of new life. And Lord, I thank you that uh, I believe we've been challenged by your word to realize that it's not okay just to be against something, but that we need to take a positive approach and we need to be a part of the solution. I pray that you would show each of us what part we are to have in this situation and dealing with this issue. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so clear. And thank you for life. And thank you that we can speak up for the new lives that you have brought into this world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.